listening to the Toronto Legends podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Fitzroy, the whip, Vanderpool. Fitz is one of Canada's most decorated boxers, holding six professional title belts across three different weight divisions, including multiple world championships. Fighting out of his home base in the KW, Kitchener-Waterloo, Fitz's career stats include 26 wins in 38 fights, half of these wins by knockout. Coming from a family of five Vanderpool brothers who were all boxers, the competitive household Fitz grew up in gave him the hope, dream, and drive to become a professional world boxing champion. Today, Fitz keeps busy in his KW community, giving back through his fitness gym and boxing academy, as well as sharing his life lessons with youth via school programming. Welcome, Fitz Vanderpool, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Well, I'm doing great. Well, thank you very much for having me on this podcast. This is quite an honor. Um, you know, uh, no, I, I feel great. I mean, I'm in Kitchener right now, Kitchener, Waterloo, hometown, and uh, yeah, things are going great. I'm really just I'm running my boxing and fitness academy in Waterloo, teaching kids and people life lessons, life skills. You know, through what I've done, and I want them to be inspired by the things that I have accomplished. Define the odds going and doing things when people told you you couldn't do it, finding the motivation, the inspiration to keep driving through life, to be successful. And that's the goal that I pushed and I tried to help others so they can achieve their goals. And that's why I'm so pleased you could be here today. Now to the listener, spoiler alert, before you, dear listeners, spend too much time guessing why Fitz's nickname is The Whip, I'm going to tell you it stands for his credo, with hope it's possible. Fitz, what does that mean exactly? Well, with hope is possible. I try. I tell people. I said, listen. If you have a goal, you have a dream, something you want to accomplish, that it is possible. Because oftentimes we find people telling us we can't accomplish something. We're not good enough. We're not smart enough. And that is a dream killer. It kills people's dreams because they think that you know people are telling them they can't accomplish something because they've never seen something done before. Until you see something accomplished, then you know that it can be done. But up until then, you have a fear. So people tell you what can or can't be done, or what actually more what can't be done more than what can. So I say, I say if you have a goal and dreams that you want to accomplish, hard work, dedication, sacrifices, with hope it is possible. You can achieve those dreams. Well, it's a fabulous lesson. And let's go back with your permission all the way back and get the Fitz Vanderpool story. When and where were you born, Fitz? Okay, I was born in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, with, uh, yeah, my couple of my brothers. Well, yeah, Trinidad and Tobago, Dago Martin is the little city back there. But uh, yeah, I was, uh, you know, um, I grew up, I was down there. I grew up until I was five years old. I was down there. And, you know, it was tough because, you know, we're running around with, you know, with the shorts on, no shirt, you know, climbing the mango trees, picking mangoes, eating the fresh fruit. It was, it was awesome. You know, eating sugar cane. It was great. A good life. Your, your dad, John, was a high-performance marathon runner and a licensed horse jockey back in Trinidad. Now, yeah. as, a, as a married father of four, your, your fifth brother, Sid, was born here in Canada. John became yeah. uh, coming to southwestern Ontario as a migrant worker on tobacco farms 
And eventually, as you note, at the age of five, your clan emigrated from Trinidad. And along with Felix, Keith, and Ian, your mom, Margaret, you all came here. What do you remember about that transition? I guess five years old is pretty young, but do you remember the excitement you had coming to a new place? Well, I'm not so sure if it was excitement or <laughs> what it was. I, I, don't, I, I sat under the table holding the table legs because I didn't want to go because I knew I was going to this place where there was this white stuff coming down that was cold. And, you know, being a kid, you know, you're in the warm, running around in your shorts, you didn't want to go to the cold. So it was like, that was a fair. So I sat on the table holding the chair leg, the table leg. I didn't want to leave. But, you know, I mean, it was something we had to do. Um, you know, my father wanted to bring us here uh, as a form for a better way of life. So, you know, it had to follow the suit, follow the family to come. Now, today, if I saw all five of the fighting Vanderpool brothers walking towards me, I wouldn't say a peep. I'd get out of your way. But when you go all the way back, apparently your dad, John, got you boys into boxing because your eldest brother, Felix, was being bullied at school. Yeah, he was a skinny kid and he was getting picked on. And so, um, you know, he came back home, came home one day and said, you know, dad, I'm getting picked on. Da, da, da. And so my father said, you know, what? I'm going to take you guys. I'm going to take you guys to the to the boxing club, uh, the police boxing academy to learn how to box. And I was like, OK. And like, you know. Um, like Muhammad Ali, the one who had our boxing career was a sergeant, Sergeant Hope McComb at the police boxing academy. And he, he was the one who started everything uh, with the boxing there. And, uh, yeah, we just started to learn how to, how to defend ourselves. And, uh, you know, actually from there, you know, going into fights, we just started to, started to get better along the way. But it was all about learning how to defend ourselves that it all started. And, uh, yeah, it's an interesting story. It's well, the lore goes that you trained under your father in the makeshift gym in your family's carport of your uh, Morrison Road home in Kitchener. Apparently, you ran, the siblings ran five kilometers before school and then sparred in the driveway. Was your dad a boxer at all, or he had this athletic background, of course? Yeah, yeah, I just had that background. He was a marathon runner, like I said, you know, it was a big thing. I mean, you know, I know when I went down to Trinidad, you know, a few years back and you know, all they could remember was my dad, Vander. They said, Vander, Vander. He, said, he would run. He was beating everybody. My dad would, he'd be ahead. He'd be looking back at these guys. He'd just, you know, taunting them. just running at it. <laughs> he was, everybody, like, it, it's so, I wouldn't say funny, but it's so interesting. When I went down there, like, 10 years old with my son uh, one, on one trip, everybody knew the name. They remembered him. They remembered how he was. And I'm like, okay. I said, he was, he was like a star down there, you know? So it was amazing to hear, you know, that kind of stuff. And what did your mom, Margaret, think about all this boxing? Your, your mom was a hospital kitchen supervisor. She, I guess, managed it all while your dad was training all the boys. Was she in favor of you guys getting into boxing? Uh, she wasn't She wasn't really against it. Was, you know, I mean, you know, eventually what happened, like, she was, like, we had the whole clan. So all five boys were boxers. My dad was a coach. My mom was uh, ended up being a referee. <laughs> yeah. uh, sorry, an official, an official, right? So like we're all like we're all part and parcel, right? So you know it was it was all right there. I mean, my dad would pack the van, I bring all the five boys. We go to a fight show. We'd almost make the show, and we have uh, the five boys and you know a couple others, you know, to make the show, right? You you've been described Fitz as uh, the equivalent of the the Von Trapps from Sound of Music. You were the <laughs> traveling Vanderpools. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, as you say it like that though too. See, my dad had instruments for us all. He wanted us because he, he liked the Jackson Five. The okay. Jackson Five. No, no words. So we had we had the organ, we had the trumpet, 
We had the guitar. We had um oh the uh the violin. <laughs> like, we, you know, and and in the flute, like we. So my dad, <laughs> like he wanted the five of us to be like with the musicians, right? Like, yeah. How how far did that musical career go, Fitz? Is there any uh, recordings out there? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, nothing legit. <laughs> Now, growing up in Kitchener-Waterloo, you were at Eastwood Collegiate High School. My understanding is your best subject was family studies. And and apparently, are you a good cook still today? Oh, excellent cook. Excellent cook. Oh, yeah. And, I, you know, I'm I'm cooking, the sewing. I mean, I took it all. I know the guys, the other guys would make fun. And, oh, well, look, he's, you know, he's cooking. He's cooking with the girls. But they didn't realize I was cooking with the girls, learning, (laughs) learning stuff that would teach me later on in life. Right. And I'm thankful for that. Gave you good interpersonal skills. Now, Fitz, after you won the Canadian Amateur Boxing Championship in 1993, you turned professional. I wonder, do you remember your first professional fight? Who was it against? Where was it? What were your memories of that first professional fight? Wow. I can't quite put my name on who the first fight was against, but I remember how I remember how I performed. I was like, because I'll tell you, one of my favorite fighters, Fox, was the Sugar Eleven. And I remember in that fight with like with this kid, I I stopped him, uh, but I I was like, just I'm like, yeah, I said, sure would have been pretty impressed, you know, the hands beat up, just made him move around, yeah, I felt it was good, it was good, but I was very very pleased with myself. Right? Now you have fought in your career in a, a number of good locations, interesting ones, but one that caught my eye was the Royal York Hotel. Yeah, that would have been a, a hometown fight, I guess. What What do you remember about fighting at the Royal York Hotel? Well, the Royal, like it was, great, it was great fighting at the Royal Hotel. I mean, that was, um, yeah, that was a hometown fight. I had, uh, it was put on by um, this guy Vince Bagnato, um, God rest his soul. But he was a promoter, and um, I actually, being said, I actually fought on his show on that particular show more than any other fighter, um. And I headlined that show probably more. So actually, that is the show. So it was it was called the Shaw Festival. It was at the Shaw Festival. I thought Bernard Shaw the playwright. So fighting there, it was uh, men. It was generally men smoking cigars, drinking wine, sitting around. So that, that was what it was. So by the time I I end up being sometimes the main event of these shows. So you're talking about this show. They're having dinner at six or seven. After dinner, then the, the fight starts. So then uh, this time they're smoking cigars all night. So by the time I come on into the ring by 10 or 10.30, the air is so thick you can with smoke, you can almost cut it. Just like, shh. And so, you know, you got to think about as a fighter now there, we need air and oxygen to breathe to get us through these rounds. Now, I'm sitting there, I'm fighting. And my thing was, I'm one of these guys who my endurance is what it is. I, I fight 12 rounds. If it's a 12 round, I fight 12 rounds. And I took these guys 12 rounds. So, I mean, I thought, you know, I'd be fighting, going through the fight, fighting 12 rounds through all this, you know, tough smoking. Yeah, I did it. You know, I made it happen. That's a, that's a venue. I think you, you don't want to be in too often in that condition, but it sounds that's the opposite of what we picture a boxing match being held. And all these guys are kind of uh, smoking and enjoying their drinks. And then the, the athletics is in front of them. Yeah. What other venues do you remember, Fitz, that you enjoyed fighting at Vegas, Atlantic City? I, I believe you fought in the Caribbean as well. Yes, I, I um so the um well the AC fight, Atlantic City, I mean that was uh that was a big Vargas fight. Um it was a nice little venue, but it it was all it was pro Vargas. 
So everybody was there. It was all him chanting him, and they were like, they go like I I come walking out my music, my music's playing the entrance music, and I'm dancing, I'm doing that, and I, all these guys going, Vanderpool, you're dead, Vanderpool, he's gonna beat you, Van. I'm, just, I'm like, whatever, I'm just dancing, having a good time, <laughs> like you know what, it's going on, the show's going on, you know. But uh, let's, let's talk about that if, if we may, Fitz, for a moment. In 2003, you fought. El Feroz, Fernando Vargas. He was at his absolute peak. He was 25. You were 35. You went into that fight, I believe, concussed. You had some management issues, a few other issues. But you held your own for six rounds. This was a huge deal. Telecast worldwide. Jim Lampley, Manny Stewart were doing the commentary. What do you remember? You talked a little about it, but what do you remember about the whole experience around fighting Fernando Vargas? Well, you know, well, that's the thing, right? And that's something that people don't know that, you know, I went into that fight concussed. Um, I had also had bruised rib going into the fight. That's why, if you notice in, in the fight, you'll see me hold my right hand tight to the body like that. Uh, but, you know, we had, we had like a, a long two, three-month camp, and, you know, it was grueling. And I just, I just, for me, it was tough to have to go through that again, a camp like that. And I just, I was like, you know, I just kind of took my way through it. Um, now, you know, I didn't, I don't like, I mean, the idea that I went in concussed was not really a good idea that, you know, that it, it, it was let happen to me per se. Let's leave it at that. Right. But, um, you know, I know I caught, I caught him with a couple, I caught him with my right hand a couple of times and I shook him, but I didn't realize at the time that I shook him the way I did. I had, I, you know, I would have jumped on him. <laughs> I was, I was that close. I'm like, you know what? I said, no, this is it. I got to make this happen. Right. This is, you know, this opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Right. And that was my opportunity. Yeah. to make good of that. I was, you know, I did my best. I did what I could in the situation. You know, at the end of the day, I have no regrets. No regrets. Well, you trained Fitz at the Waterloo Regional Boxing Academy during its heyday when it produced Lennox Lewis, brothers Chris and Greg Johnson, Donnie Lalonde, and your brother Sid. I should note, by the way, that Sid was gracious enough to have his big brother appear first on this excellent podcast, but I look forward to speaking with Sid in the future. Now, you were ranked, Sid, in fact, was ranked number one for part of his career, and he fought some real doozies, including Bernard the Executioner Hopkins. Did any other of the Vanderpool brothers have cool nicknames? Because you're the whip, Sid is the jewel. Did your other brothers get good nicknames? Or Oh, I, well, my oldest brother, Felix, was the cat. Yeah, Felix the cat. <laughs> the cat that got in trouble. <laughs> the cat that got in trouble. <laughs> Did you have a relationship with Lennox Lewis, who originally did train in at a Kitchener? Yeah, I know. I, I haven't, I haven't, um, you know, uh, spoke to Marcin in a while, um, but I know he is in Toronto here doing some stuff. I know he had a show, uh, he had a fight show that he helped promote a few years back, and I was at that show and I saw him there. Um, so actually, there's actually a venue um, that they're having in town actually where I'm probably going to be seeing him uh, a lot more in the next little while. So. Because I was invited to an event out there in September that I know uh, is an event that Lennox is associated with, so I'll be I'll probably I'll probably see him in September for sure. Great. And what do you attribute to why so much boxing talent came out of KW? You know what we try to you know we joke and we say oh it must be the water this is but you know what I think at the time I think what a lot of it is is that we had we we knew we just had to work hard. What we had was like. So, for instance, let's say when when I was, you know, growing up training, we at the Waterloo Basketball, all we had for the floor for sparring was that circle, the basketball circle ring on the floor. That basketball, that's what we sparred in that circle there. 
Whereas now you've got rings, you've got fancy stuff, got fancy gear. Everybody's got, you know, every, you know your gym's got to look all fancy and, and for people to perform, you know, to think that that's how, how they're going to become successful. Where all we had was that little circle on the floor. We sparred in, we had one bag sitting in one little corner there and it's all beat up and we just, that was bad. We all beat up, right? But we had to work hard. We didn't, like, it didn't matter what we had. It was us. We were the drive. We're the ones who were hungry to become champions, to be successful. And that's what it, it all stems from because, you know, I'll, 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 you know, like I said, the gym doesn't make the champion. The champion makes the gym, you know, so it doesn't matter. Everything's okay. I, I got to have a fancy place to train. I got to have all this fancy stuff. I got to do this. No, it's, it's how, how hard you're going to work as to where your success is going to come from. Well, certainly. Well, I think certainly those messages fits you post-career. You've been known as much for your philanthropy and your community leadership as for your storied boxing career. In 2008, you were inducted into the Waterloo County Hall of Fame. In 2016, you were inducted into the Ontario Boxing Hall of Fame. But I think what you're most proud of is since 2003, you have been the owner-operator of the Vanderpool Fitness and Boxing Gym in Waterloo, where you're also the head coach for the WIP Boxing Academy. Talk about what your goals are as you bring young people, not only into your school and boxing, but into athletics in general. Well, you know, actually, okay, so, yeah, so it'll, we're coming upon 20 years this December. Congratulations. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm excited about that. I don't know what the city thinks about it, if they're going to do anything, but you know what, I'm just happy that I'm able to do the things that I do. Um, when I bring kids into my gym, young and old alike, I mean, a lot, I know a lot of my, my fighters come in and they go, well, I want to I want to become a boxing champion. I want to become champion, you know, like you. And I said, listen, I'll tell them, I said, listen, I don't care. It doesn't matter if you become champion. What I want to do is teach you life lessons and life skills, things that you will be able to use in your everyday life. Because once you're here, you're only in the gym for maybe five or ten years. But you're going to spend 50 or 60 years outside of the gym in life. And that's why I want to teach you lessons that will carry you through life to make you successful, to make you know you can achieve your goals, to want to chase your dreams, to keep, you know, believing and achieving what you want in life. Because these are the things that, you know, a lot of times are missing. Now, a lot of times, like, I mean, I think of myself, say, you know, yeah, coach, coach. I see myself as a teacher. I mean, there's coaches and there's teachers, and I want to teach life lessons, life skills. Coaches, you know, sometimes people say, "Okay, well, you know, I, I, you know, you want to be a motivational speaker. You want to motivate motivate people." No, you know what? I'm not a motivational speaker. I don't motivate people. I inspire them. I inspire them to do and chase their dreams because motivation motivation has an expiry date. Inspiration doesn't. Hmm. Well. I that's a good message. And I think, you know, boxing in particular, I believe, is one of the sports where you can't just show up on game day. You'll really get your butt kicked. We love seeing the, how the sausage gets made on this podcast fit. So I was wondering if you talk a little about during your career, when a fight was on date X, when would you start training? And would training be boxing specific or was it full athletic training? Talk a little about your training and eating regimen as you would lead up to a fight. Well, you know, for me, the, 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 the fortunate thing was that I was very fortunate that I never really had to, uh, when, you know, when I set up a training camp, um, so depending on the length, of the, the length of the fight, I had to fight whether it was a 10-rounder or a 12-rounder, you know, I would do maybe two or three months, right, depending. But I was always a guy who, I was always on weight. I didn't have to go to camp to lose weight. And that's the, the interesting thing for me because people will say, 
I, when I fought, like, if you watch, when I, when I fought for the 147-pound title, I was like 140, I think I was 145, but I was, you know, I, I was coming up. So I came up for the 140-pound title. For, I was one number one at 140, and they wanted me to fight for the 147-pound title. So I know that was, that was the setup. They were setting me up there because Tony Badia, he was 13 and 0 with 10 knockouts. He was knocking everybody out, and I just got knocked out the fight before by Charles Murray. And then they set me up because they wanted me to get beat by him going up from 140 to 147. So, you know, going into that fight, I think it was like 145. But, you know, I mean, the weight limit is 147. You know, I, I didn't need that. I was already – when I fought for the 154-pound title, I think I came in at 151. Um, and I think only when I fought for the 160-pound title, because I was a little, a little older, you know, I may, I, I may have lost, had to lose a couple pounds, but I, I was never. So my camps weren't really about going in to lose weight to get on in shape. See, I was a kind of fighter because I had, I was self-managed, self-financed, self-promoted. I had to make myself ready all the time to step to the plate whenever an opportunity came. Because my trainer would say to me, you know what, Fitz, you know, we got we got nothing. So we got to just make sure that if somebody calls us to fight tomorrow, we're ready. So I was always in shape. I mean, they call me on sometimes three, four days notice. You know what, they say, wait. Well, I'm like, sure, because I'm in the gym training. I'm ready to go all the time. So I'm like, okay. They think they're getting some guy that they call three, four days on short notice that he's not in shape. And we're just going to catch him cold. But I'm like, wrong guy. I, <laughs> wrong I think guy. of you like the uh... – behind the glass when re- when needed break the glass Fitz is ready and I think what people may not appreciate and I certainly don't think I appreciate it as much as I should you were a champion across three different weight classes I mean that's a huge thing you were fighting as you say at 140 pounds what was the heaviest you would have weighed when I was fighting yeah when you're fighting uh, so actually when I well that's so when I was fighting at 140 I was weighing like 138 Right, I was weighing one, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like as I go up, all the I was always a couple of pounds lighter than the top of the weight class. Mm-hmm. Where you got most guys, like you got guys like I mean, I want to fought Badia for the 147 pound title. The next day he was weighing 147. You know, I because or sorry, one 156. So yeah, 147. Yeah, he was weighing 156. So you can see how what he had, was coming down to get to that point. Yeah, you know that. You know, and I'm like, no, I was just I was. That was just my natural walk around weight, right? So I didn't really struggle to make that way. So that's why, that's why if you see a lot of my fights, I, I I'm fighting twelve rounds, right? Which is something like, I mean, how many guys are, how many guys you know are, have fought twelve rounds? I mean, even you know. So for me, one of my things I say to guys that everybody says, "Oh yeah, I'm a champion. I'm this. I'm not." I'm like, okay, that's great. But do you know what it is to fight twelve rounds? Can you fight twelve rounds? Well, no, because I knocked my guys out before I knocked them on a third or fourth round. <laughs> yes, that's great. I'm happy for you. But do you know what it takes in the championship spirit and heart to fight twelve rounds? No, be, well, okay. You know, if you don't, if you never fought twelve rounds, then you don't know. You don't know what being a champion is all about. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, and on that note, Fitz, it's interesting you say that. It's just, it's not just raw strength or the the best athletic ability. There's strategy involved too. What would you say is it fifty fifty athleticism versus strategy, or as you got into these higher levels of boxing? Well, you know what I mean. No, see, people think that, you know, um, if you're 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 physical, you're you're in great shape, you know, you're looking well. That that's that's. But no, I I'll I probably I would say if I had to go number wise, I'd say I go sixty forty, 
or even more. No, but let's let's just say sixty forty. Now, when I say sixty, I mean sixty is the mental. Sixty is your game plan, who your head, what you're doing, how you're using that. Because you can you can be in great physical shape, you can be in great, but if you if your mind is not able to push that body through it, then you, it doesn't matter how great a shape you're in or how physically good you look or how tough you look. It doesn't matter because I can outsmart you and beat you at your own game. So oftentimes, you know, um, in, in, in order, like I said, that way too to be um, that we have to, you know, work hard. But sometimes it's like, you know, they say hard work, beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yes. But, you know, but like I said, but also in this aspect, like I said, you know, you got to outsmart because you can outsmart someone who looks good and who comes in like this, but, you know, just using those little tricks, you can outslide them, right? Yeah. To beat them. What, what was your, uh, what was your walkout music? Did you have the same, what were your tunes that would play when Fitz Vanderpool was coming into the ring? <laughs> I actually, I came into several different songs. I mean, I've had, I had a couple of songs actually that were, were made for me by some artists, some friends of mine who are artists. Oh, wow. And yeah. And, uh, but, but I'll, I'll tell you one, one DMX, uh, I came out to when I fought at the, um, in Aurelia against Brian Mackey, fellow Canadian. I defended my WF world title against him and it was DMX. Y'all going to make me lose my mind up in here, up in here. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, yeah. Here I come. Here I come. <laughs> yeah. Did you need to get pumped up before a fight, or were you already ready, ready to go? No, it, it's good. It, it's good to get pumped up. The music just helps you get in the zone, get in the atmosphere. Just you know, because I mean, I'm, I'm more. I would have to say I'm more like a calm, relaxed kind of a guy. You know, where I'm not, you know, um, as intense. Like a lot of a lot of athletes are, you know, super intense when it comes to stuff, right? So, but I got to a point in my life where I was, I was more calm going in because I had it keep myself calm to think so I can make myself through what I had to do. Right. So I didn't really get myself too pumped up or too worked up because my thing was that when I, when I fight somebody, if I can get under their skin, get them worked up, get them all angry and stuff. I'm like, you know what? That I can take them off the game plan, just pick them apart. So I knew I had to keep myself calm and the calmer I can keep the smarter I can think to do the plans necessary to make it happen. Now, when you're in a fight fits, when uh, I always see the cut man, what what is the number one way to stop bleeding if you, if you got some kind of contusion that you need to stop? Well, the this apply pressure. Yeah, you gotta you gotta you apply pressure to cut and just you know, I mean, hold hold that pressure on it. And so. and kind of before that, before you even get in the ring, I wanted to know about. It sounds like you didn't have a problem making weight, but if someone has a problem making weight, is it just like the movies? They jump in the sauna and and uh, how do you cut that weight so quickly? It's all water, I guess. Yeah, the la- the last last little bit of the last five pounds or whatever is usually just all water. I mean, you know, you'll find some people will be starving themselves, cutting back on what they're eating. Not, you know, and but I mean, I you know, starving is a tough thing, right? Because you're depleting the body, and then you gotta, you know, try and put that back back in after. Are you getting, you know, the the a good strength comeback, right? But it's it's being done. That's what people do, right? Whether it's cutting back, eating less. Um, you know, and then and then the last little bit is you know always dehydrated, putting on the garbage bag, going for a run with the bag on, or going in the sauna with the garbage bag on, sweating it off, sweating off five six pounds, getting on the scale making weight, right? But it, I guess it all depends how you feel after, right? If you can, you know, if your mind you can feel, but at the same time, if somebody does that to me, losing all that weight, I'm taking it into deep waters because the body's gonna start sweating, and then it's not gonna start acting the same way, reacting the same way. 
So I'm taking them in the deep waters, which is where a lot of my fights go to begin with anyways. Well, after all the training you do, and then after all these fights, as you mentioned, you had no problem going the distance. Immediately after the fight, what happens to your body? And, and am I correct in guessing, if I were you, I'd head straight to McDonald's with a six-pack. Would you immediately <laughs> hit the buffet? or What happens to your body as soon as you left the ring, Fitz? You know, i just say the truth, nothing really. Like, for me, I just... I don't even like. I don't even get to the point where I'm where I'm craving, you know, water or whatever, like a burger. And I don't. I I never really got like that because, like I said, I never had to punish my body trying to make weight. So honestly, I never had that issue where because I know actually I see people talk about that too. They say, oh yeah, you know, as soon as I make weight, get on the scale. As soon as I make weight, I'm gonna go have me a couple of burgers and I'm this and I'm. I never because I never deprive myself of that, you know, man, and and. The, like I said, burgers anyways, I tried to control not eating that kind of stuff anyways. You know what I mean? So why would I want to punish myself and just go, like, put all the way back on, silly, and just, you know what I mean? No, you got to be ready for, for tomorrow. What happens if a fight, fight comes up tomorrow? You know? So you're going to work hard, punish yourself working hard, and make the weight, and all of a sudden then go back and eat crap again. See, this is something I want to, you know, see, boxing uh, is a lifestyle. As, as in fitness, fitness is a lifestyle. So you can't just one day want to be in shape and eat properly and go. You got to do this all the time. You got to live your life in a certain way that, you know, you're always ready. You're always healthy. You're always feeling fine, right? And people like to, they like to binge. I want to go hard this way, cut this and then come back and eat junk food and, you know, and then, and then drink and get silly and then come back here and then get myself in shape again and go, well, that, that has wear and tear on the body. That has wear and tear on the body. So even like, you know, so now every day with a lifestyle, I mean, you know, how you live your life is the results you can get down the road. It's going to show down the road. So when I teach my kids life lessons, life skills, I teach me you got to use your manners. You got to be polite. You got to show up on time for work. You got to show up on time for the gym. You got to make sure you're, you're courteous. You got to, you know, just, you know, be, be nice, be kind, right? I mean, because, you know, this is a, it's a tough world we live in. And what we give to someone, we give back in return. So if you give somebody some sass or, you know, you're being mean to somebody, the universe will bring that back to you. It's discipline and it's life lessons. Yes. Now, you were a fan favorite and your brothers were fan favorites. The Vander Peeps were a cult following of fans that cheered you on. And apparently they wore uh, Dr. Seuss hats with Canadian flags on them, which if if the story is correct, your mom made these hats for the Vander Peeps. Is that accurate? So yeah, those were those were um for Sid's fights that they had. He had the peeps. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you still have people recognizing you and Sid in the street and remembering having good stories from seeing you guys in action during your heyday? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, more I more I get them when I when I have people or students who come to the gym, and they say, you know, hey, I you know I've seen your career. You know, you did great. I you know I I like how you represented the represented the city. You know. Um, you know, and and more so where I where I find a lot of that is when I go like I, I go to the Hall of Fame in Canastota, New York, and um, that's great because when I go down there, of course, it's all boxing fans, and they're like, "I seen you fight, Ben. You you fought, you fought so and so on team, yeah." And I it's like, "Yeah, it was me." Then you you kind of, it's like, "Yeah," you know, they you you like you don't you think they wouldn't remember after twenty years, twenty five years, but they remember, and it's like, "Wow, you remember that, oh, man? That was good. You represented well, man." I'm like. Cool. 
Like, wow. <laughs> that is cool. You, where's the where's the oddest or weirdest place, Fitz, that you've been recognized where you wouldn't have expected it? I don't know if there's a I don't know if there is a weird or not place. I'm no, I don't you, know. I, you ever I'm minding your own business in the airport and someone walks up to you and you just didn't expect it? <laughs> no, not 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 so much the airport. I'm just saying maybe I don't know. But in terms of celebrities you came across, was there any time you were fighting? I don't know who's ringside. Were you ever kind of like, hey, I, I recognize that guy. I'm in the middle of about to go into a fight and I recognize someone ringside. Did you have any celebrity interactions during your career that were uh, stuck in your memory? No, I mean, I, I you know, I mean, I, I for, for myself, like, I mean, I'll tell you, like, I mean, even like, like Leila Ali, I trained with Leila Ali for a couple of fights and it was kind of cool. You know what I mean? And actually Muhammad Ali came to, uh, to a couple of her fights. Now the thing that I had there was I wanted to meet. I wanted to. I mean, I was. I wanted to go and meet Ali, but I wanted to do that with my with my son. I wanted to make it historic with my son. Mm-hmm. So, but we never had the opportunity to do it together. So, but I didn't want to go on myself, right? I wanted to do, to do some experience like that with him. And in terms of your the other boxers you've come across, whether colleagues or ones you've fought, you still keep in touch with the boxing community in that sense, guys of your era. Or are you very focused on the kind of up and coming and the people that train with you? No, I, I keep in touch with you know my my era. Like I mean, actually, you know, one of the guys I'll say like uh, Charles Charles Murray, Charles and Asher Murray. I mean, he knocked me, he knocked me out in the, in the sixth round. Um, I, I ended up getting back up, but uh, one of my brothers was in the ring, so the fight was stopped. But Charles knocked me down in the sixth round. Um, you know, at that point, um, I was advised by family to quit boxing to get out of the game. Uh, but I felt I had more, and I didn't want to uh, to leave on that note. I, and that's when I was thankful. I stuck on, and I came back, and I won my first my first Canadian belt. Uh, actually, it was the first belt I was brought back to the Tri Cities here, uh, knocking out Badia in the sixth round to win the belt. Um, but no, um, when I fought Charles, uh, it was interesting because I used to watch Charles. I was an amateur, and Charles was a professional, and I used to watch him. And they, they called him the natural because he was he was naturally good. Okay, that's why this guy's called a natural. I'm like, wow, this guy's good. I'm watching. He's got all this. I'm like, then all of a sudden, years later, I get this chance to fight Charles. And I'm like, sure. You know, but it's like, but I used to watch that. You know what? Nobody was giving me an opportunity or giving me chances, so I took it. I'm like, yeah, I have to take whatever's being given to, right? So I took it. Did, did you call him Mr. Murray, or did you uh, quickly realize <laughs> you had to treat him like an opponent? No, no, I knew I had a cheap as the board. <laughs> I knew we were right there. But, you know, that being said, what happened was I actually, on, on the 20th anniversary, from when he knocked me out, I called, I reached out, I reached out to him and I found out where, what his number. So I called him up. This is 20 years later. I'm like, hey, guys, Charles. Yeah, this is Charles. I say, hey, Charles, man, this is, this is Fitz Vanpool, man. Now, listen, I just want to thank you for knocking me out 20 years ago. <laughs> All right. Now this guy, he's probably going. I must hit this guy in the head too hard. <laughs> he says this guy's thanking me for knocking me out twenty years ago. I'm like, no man, listen, thanks man, because you know what? If you had a knockout, I wouldn't have had to come back from perseverance to to do what I'm doing now. Because I mean, I got six belts now. You know what I mean? I came back and I endured and I, you know, showed it was tough. I I could have walked away, but I you get knocked down, get up, and that's what happened. I got knocked down five times, get up six, right? And here Perseverance I am. and yeah. sportsmanship. That's also what you show. 
Now, fit something interesting about you. In March 2013, after an eight-year hiatus from professional boxing, you are now 45 years of age. You came back into the ring. You fought someone 17 years younger, and you beat him. And with that win, you beat out the great George Chavallo and became the oldest boxer to ever win a Canadian boxing championship. You then finally announced your retirement for good, which I'm sure your family was happy about. But I wanted to ask, what was your relationship like with George Chavallo, another Canadian boxing legend? It was, it was good. It was actually good because, you know, when I would, when I would go to events, I actually, well, George and I, we used to see each other at the Hall of Fame in Canastota, New York all the time. And it was, I would say, not, not funny, but it was interesting because we were two of the few Canadian boxers. Like, I can honestly say that at that Hall of Fame down there, like, they don't, I mean, it's American, right? So, you know, they got their American fighters. But George, you know, like I said, he, he was, they, they know George. They got George. Got his, um, I think we have our, our tour daddies in there, and I'm the other guy. And then me. Like, when I go there now, they know who I am. I mean, I've had I've had where I brought some of my books, the whip. I got my book, the whip that I co-authored. I bring that down there. I'll sell ten or fifteen on a weekend. Ten or fifteen of my books. Just boom, we come in, sign them, sell the books. They get, they know my they got my story. Um, we we'd be sitting in a room, and George would be the one who would get me back to the back room where I would sit with marvelous Marvin Hagler, um, you know Larry Holmes, Leon Spinks. Um, you know, um, and it was like, cause there was a VIP room in the back and at, at Graciano's when I was there, we, we loved it there. You so, must uh, have enjoyed, you had a chance to interact with all these guys and trade stories and it must've been quite an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it was, an, it was an amazing experience. I mean, and, uh, so we, we'd go there and, you know, be like, go, I, I go, Hey champ. I said, enjoy. I go, Hey champ. He go, he go like, hey champ. I said, hey champ. We, it was like, this, it was a bunch of boxing champions in a room. And you didn't know, like, it's like, I go like, I'm thinking to myself, okay, does he know my name? And then at one time, one time I was sitting with George and we were at, uh, we're at this, this event. Because I said, um, I said, hey, hey champ, how you doing? And George goes back to me, hey champ, I'm doing good champ, how you doing? And I said, hmm, maybe he doesn't know my name. He doesn't know my name, so he, he just called me champ. I said, I said, listen, I said, hey, champ, can I ask you something? I said, do you know my name? I said, I know your your fits the whip. I said, I said, oh, okay. Cool. I said, cool. He doesn't know my name. He's not just called me champ because he doesn't know my name, right? Like, you never doubt George Chavallo. and yet you, you never doubt your self confidence fit. That's a <laughs> that's a great one. Yeah. He. But- now he he of course is not doing as well today, but he's he's uh, always a legendary. There's so many stories about him, and it's 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 great that you were able to have a good relationship with him. And it really speaks to the boxing culture. You can, as you talked about, you can be fighters in the ring, and when you're outside, um, you were competitors, and you can be friends and colleagues, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. Do you have an opinion? I want to ask you about uh, MMA, mixed martial arts versus boxing. There's a lot of debate about which sport is heading where, whether they should be mutually exclusive. One has to be good. One isn't. Uh, what are your thoughts on MMA in the UFC? Uh, yeah, well, the MMA, I mean, with the way things are, I mean, it, it's, it's okay. I mean, I don't know that, you know, unlike, I mean, boxing has been around for a long time, you know, so, um, you know, you can't, it's not, you're, you're not going to push boxing on the scene. 
you know, MMA comes in, it brings some excitement, it brings us some different stuff with the striking and the kicking and the grappling, you know, and I think that what it might be is that people were looking for a little something, something fresh, you know, something a little different for a bit, right? Because unless you have an exciting fighter that has knock that knockout power that brings that excitement, people tend to tend to you know dwindle back right or, or step off. So it's it's the excitement that people look for. So you know we we need that excitement and you know in up and coming fighters to keep boxing on top of the game. Um, you know when you I mean when we had, we had Mike Tyson, the excitement was there because Mike would get in, but you know, boom, you see explosive knockout, boom, he brought the excitement. Yeah, when's Mike gonna knock this guy? Is it the first round or the second round? He's gonna punish his body, right? And that's the excitement people like, you know. Um, so yeah, you know, if we have, if we get some exciting fighters out there, uh, then you know, then yeah, we're back, we're back on top. On that note, Fitz, Mike Tyson famously said, "Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth." How did you go into your fights knowing that this was the case? You might have a great strategy, but one punch to your face that might change it. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's it's something that I went into it. Uh, being prepared, right, and I uh, prepared myself as best I could, uh, knowing that you know it, it could happen, and uh, if it does, then I'm gonna. If they punch me in the mouth, I'm gonna punch it back in the mouth. <laughs> it's like you know what, you're not just gonna punch me in the mouth and get away with it. I'm come back to punch you in the mouth too. So, you know, it's. It, I guess it's kind of like you know when we put those gloves on, we used to wear those ten ounce gloves, those eight ounce gloves, and. Um, they felt like they felt like winter mitts sometimes. You put them on, or like it's like it's like one of your big winter mitts. And I'm like, oh man, I said, man, this is gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt when I hit this guy. And then I thought to myself, he's got the same kind of gloves on. He's gonna hit me the same way. So I'm thinking to myself, you know what? This is the whip, the whips boxing bible. It is better to give than to receive. Okay. And the next psalm is. Do unto others before they do unto you. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> so I live by those. <laughs> those are good credos, Fitz. I think they're especially important in boxing where you're punching yeah. each other. <laughs> When's the last time you were back in Trinidad and Tobago? Do you still have family back there? Do you still go back? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got family back there. Um, and, I, and I still go back. Yeah, it's been about, I would think it was about, Five well, five years or so. Okay, I don't. I don't know if you uh, if you if you know all these names, but I did a little research. The in okay. addition to you, the other famous Trinidad and Tobago emigrants to Canada include sprinter Glenroy Gilbert, the CBC broadcaster Ian Hannah-Mansing, Canadian soccer star Randy Samuel, uh, the Canadian civil rights activist and lawyer Charles Roach, and the one that caught my eye. I, he was a TV host, a chef, but I knew him as a percussionist with bass is bass, Roger Mooking. Is there a Trinidad Tobago community in the GTA and, and KW that you would keep in touch with, or you hear about things from family, you go back and see them? Yeah, I know. And there's, you know what, I guess, I don't know if this is it, Kitchener's too, too small, but I, there's not really, um, there's not really um, a Trinidad sort of uh, base here in this, uh, in the Kitchener water area. Um, I think there's one uh, a little bit in Cambridge, in the Cambridge area. Uh, but yeah, we don't have. You know, I should. I'm looking at it a little more further as you as you said that. You know, I'd be interested to uh, either find one or put one together. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Like really, yeah. So no, you you gave me an idea. All right, <laughs> I like it. 
And now you're going to give me an idea because one of my favorite things, Fitz, is to eat. Where am I going to find the best Trinidad food, whether it's in Toronto or, or KW when I'm out your way? Uh, what, what are you in? I'm in I'm in Richmond Hill, but I go all over the GTA. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. Is is roti the 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 food we associate most? Or yeah, yeah. And and as you as you say that, I just made some last night. <laughs> yep. I just, so no word. No listeners, word. I think we have the answer. You don't need to go to a special restaurant. You go to Fitz Vanderpool. <laughs> he makes yeah. the best roti. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, I just made some last night. It was great. It was, it was awesome. Who taught you how to make that? Actually, my mom. I, I watched my mom. I watched my mom. My mom when she was making it, and uh, I just you know picked up off of that. And I, I mean you you know like it was interesting because like I said, a lot of times I'd watch my mom or dad cook, and I just watch them. Be like, okay, I want because I wanted to learn how to do these things myself because I knew one day. I mean, they wouldn't always be there cooking it for me, so I, I knew I wanted. I liked it, so I'd watch how they made it, and I just boom. It it all comes back to family studies at high school. You, you know, <laughs> you never lose those skills, Fitz. No. If if I may, may I ask about your family unit today? Who's in your family today? Um, I, I just have I just have a, I have a, I have a son. I have one boy. I have one boy. Yeah, Good. for me. Exactly. And, and uh, what what level is he in school? Is he? Uh... No, no, he's he's working right now. He's actually he's twenty two, so he's working. Uh, he's doing some. He's working with a home renovation company, good. so he's getting, getting some skills and uh, learning about the trades, which is good because we, we we've got some plans. We got some good. plans. And yeah. and is he still at home, or did you manage to get him off the payroll? No, no, no. He's he's at home still. Good. Which is okay. Yeah, no, it's okay because you know with the way things are right now these days, it's gonna be hard for these kids to be able to afford to get a place on their own. You know, so we got to help them. And, get them on their feet, right? As long as they're out there working productively and doing something and trying to further themselves, that's what it's all about, right? Well, I'll, I'll warn you, if you keep doing his laundry and keep making good roti, I don't know if you're ever going to get him out of there. <laughs> Do you have any favorite boxing movies, Fitz? And and I was wondering how realistic those are. So do you, do you enjoy watching boxing movies? Any stick out for you? No. Well, I mean, of course, the obvious one is, is the Rockies, right? And and I say that because um I've got a I got a summer camp that I run every year, and um been running for the last nine years and you know every every year we watch, uh the Rocky movies you know as we go through so like I mean I, I almost know them all by heart but I mean I just love watching them you know the some about the excitement of watching the Rocky movies you just you can just watch them over and over and over you know what I mean you never never get bored of it you know. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I'll be watching that another two weeks. Well, actually, next week when my camp starts, we'll be watching that again with the kids. Do you watch them through from one to, uh, I don't know what they're up to, one to well, five? Do you watch the whole yeah, series? No, one to six, six now? We got Creed 2, right? Yeah. No, well, no, we don't, we, don't, we don't have time to watch. We'll watch in between, so I'll say to the kids, I'll say, you know, okay, you guys want to watch the movie now? If it's raining outside, we'll watch a movie, right? So, we'll, we'll, we usually get to watch one or two of them, right? And sometimes it's not even the whole movie. I mean, they just they'll just be happy to sit sit there watch some of the movie, you know, see some of the fight scenes, and you know, and then they're good, right? We sometimes we'll get to watch the whole thing. Sometimes sometimes not. We'll probably usually watch maybe two or three of the of the Rockies uh, in a, in a summer camp. That's good. So it's good, yeah. Now your camps and your whip boxing academy, I think they sell themselves. How many gyms can offer to train with a world champ? One baby, 
<laughs> That's right. Why? That's right. Um, you know, I'll, I'll get parents to come in and, you know, um, you know, I ask them how they found me. They, you know, they, they looked me up. They said that we researched you, did some work on you. We found you. And they said, you know, and we, we have, we have an opportunity to have our kid train with the world champion. And I said, I said, you guys are right. I said, six belts too. Absolutely. So, um, like, Hey, and, and, you know, like I said, and one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm most proud of is that, you know, I can probably say, I think there's probably there's a, there's a handful there's probably a handful of three division champions in Ontario. I think there's a handful of three. I mean, that's, that's big. And I say, I say that now because I'm wearing the shirt that tells it right here. It ain't bragging. If it's the truth. It ain't bragging. If it's the truth, Muhammad Ali's famous statement, and you can use that one as well. Fitz, you're the guy to ask this question about overall fitness training. A lot of people feel the training for boxing is the best overall fitness training, even if you're not a fighter. Would you say that's true, or is, is the training you do very specifically for boxing? No, I, I would have to say that boxing is one of the most, you know, one of the most best fitness exercises. Um, and, uh, like, I've had athletes from all different sports come in. I've, I've had hockey players, some hockey players, some professional hockey players that have come in my gym and I train with. And, uh, you know, you, you sit there and you punch – you punch for 30 seconds straight and they're like, and I'm like, these, these are pros. And then you see them whipping down the ice and they're going in there shooting quick and hitting goals. And, but you get them in the gym punching because it's, it's just a whole different level of intensity. And, you know, I said, okay, that's 30 seconds. Think about if you had to do that for three minutes, you know, it's a whole different beast. And, and, and they, and a lot of them show a different appreciation for boxing. I got people coming in and like they think I'm boxing with a certain level. Oh, it's easy. It's that. They start punching for a minute. They get in the gym, punch it for a minute, and they're like, "Wow, that was tough. <laughs> that was tough." <laughs> yep. <laughs> Try for three minutes. Were you a big yeah. proponent of swimming fits or skipping rope or? Uh, I I do skim rope. I skim rope. Yep. Not not I I don't because I'm not near a pool enough to say I I'm a big of swimming, but but I mean I, I'm in near the gym so grabbing a rope skipping i'm good with that yeah and i think like, i want to let people know too that like some come in where they want to lose some cardio they want i said well skipping is a great way 20 30 minutes of skipping you know get that in and myself now too i want to get in 20 or 30 minutes of skipping every every second day myself for my cardio well like you say it's a lifestyle this podcast is of course just audio so we can't see you but i gotta say you look like you could get in the ring today so you 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 live what you speak it's a lifestyle. It's a discipline. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I mean, it's interesting. And like I said, you can see me and, and the others can't, but I mean, you know, somebody just mentioned to me that they, they said, you know, they said, you look like you're ready to go 10 rounds. And I was like, well, you know, but no, I mean, it is a lifestyle. See, for me, I have to keep myself looking good. I have to keep myself in shape because as a coach, as a teacher, I have to emulate the role model I want to be to the students that I teach. If I was out of shape, and just, you know, doing, doing, you know, wrong things, my students would see that and they would not want to follow me wherever I'm going. Whereas if I'm in shape, they say, I keep myself well, I conduct myself properly. Then they'll they say, well, we want to be like him. And that's what you want to do as a role model. You want to have them want to be like you. So you have to conduct yourself in such a way that you're leading a path that they're okay with that. Lead by example. I think. Lead by example. 
You stand yeah. for all the right things. Now, Fitz, thank you very much for your time today. As we get to wrapping up, I appreciate your time. What are your plans for the remainder of 2022 and beyond? What are you working on now? And, and what's next for Fitz Vanderpool? Um, I've got a couple, like I said, I've got a couple of things um, we got lined up right now this year. Like I said, I want to, you know, I want to see when I hit 20 years as uh, um, in December for my gym, 20 years, um, you know, um, it'll be uh, 30 years as a certified boxing coach, 30 years as a certified boxing coach, you know, um, with, with Boxing Ontario. I mean, I, I'm excited. Like it's good because like I said, when I hit 20 years with my gym, I mean, my brother Sid, um, he's, Five years behind me, so he's on his. Year, he's coming on year fifteen now, but I think it's it's great because you know my father had a gym for me and my brothers. It was called Little Archie's Little Archie's Box Club. So back in nineteen eighty two. So after that, then I opened a gym, and then my brother opened one five years later. So that's three Vanderpools with three different gyms down generation, and you you're not going to ever see that in in a city where you have three generations or three gyms like that going down it's tremendous so i think that that's pretty that's pretty amazing as stellar that's where it is that's a that's a landmark historic thing there it um, is and again congratulations on that 20 years and wishing you many more it was great having you today where can we best follow you Fitz, and know about all the programming at your gym and your boxing academy okay now let me see if i got twitter or instagram anyway so everything is it one is at, at Fitzroy the whip Okay. And um, one is Fitz Bellwith. So is that, is that Instagram or Twitter? Okay. And and you do have a website as well, which I believe is thewhipboxing.ca. You got it. That's the one. Yep. Fabulous. Well, great seeing you. Wishing you continued success. And to the listener, we would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends podcast. And on behalf of Fitz, the whip, Vanderpool, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. 
4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.